Today's teaching text is coming from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you have one of our Blue Shed Bibles, it's page 1040. Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, well, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hmm. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as gifts, but as an obligation. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Grace and peace be with you, Will. And to all of you who are here, grace and peace be with you. I um, I'd love to introduce myself. I see a few new faces that I haven't met personally. My name is Ashley Island, and I have the joy of being one of our pastors here. Um, and as most of you know, we have these three kids at home, and we are finally officially out of diapers. Our youngest is potty trained. Praise be to God. This means we get to enter into some new things together as a family, and we're into board games right now, like super into board games. Everyone has the acuity enough to sit still and make it through a board game. And one of our favorite board games right now that our kids are really drawn to is this board game that's been around since the 1960s, the game of life. Now, here's the deal with this game of life. There have been different versions. And when I was growing up, I had the version that was coming out maybe around 90s, early 2000s. It's a little different from the version you could buy on Amazon today. And here's how you play the older version of the game of life. First thing out the gate, you'd have to decide whether or not you're going to start your career immediately or go to where. Go to college, right. That's the first decision you have to make. And then you make it a few spaces, and then you are forced, again, the 90s version, to get what? Married. But before that, you have, you're forced to get a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to stop at the stop sign, get a job. Then you're forced to stop and get married. And then you continue along the way. You, you're forced to get a house that you may or may not be encouraged to get insurance for. And then you keep going, you keep going along the game board. The rest of the way you are reacting to different spaces on the board, some of them bringing you great fortune and luck, the other ones causing you to experience great loss. This all continues until you get to the end of the board and you have a couple options. Again, 90s version. You either modestly retire at Countryside Acres. (laughs) Or you are forced to strategically think, do I have enough money to beat out everybody else and retire at the lavish millionaire estates? Those are your two options. The person who has accumulated the most for themselves That's the person with the best life. This isn't really just a board game, is it? Here are two problems with advancing along the game of life, driven in the little plastic car of belief that you have to work hard and earn the most in order to play the game right. Number one, we start believing that the fulfillment of the good life that we have came about by our own flesh. We did it. And number two, 
we start believing we are worthy in the sight of God and others based on what we've done. For this Lenten season, we're in the series Fix Our Hearts, and I love how my brother Tim set it up for us last week. In this season, we're open to both the fixing, the correction of our hearts, the state of brokenness and need that they are in, but we are also called to fix, to gaze, to clasp our hearts onto the only one who is the source of true life. Abraham, who's mentioned in our text today, would have been considered the winner in the game of life in his time. See, Jewish rabbis would have taught that Abraham had a surplus of merits for his works. They'd offer a biblical citation that we see repeated here by Paul in Romans as a literary device, sometimes beginning the teaching with what does scripture say? And then they'd read a text like Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness, being right relationship with God, granted by a divine sense of approval. And this word that Paul uses, credited, they would have understood this because it came from a judgment or an estimate of the temple priests, of the priests at the time, as God's representatives whereby they either approved or rejected an Israelite's offering. It was also used in a financial sense. It was used in ancient bookkeeping as crediting payment to one's account. So the audience would have understood what Paul was saying here. But these Jewish rabbis, they'd read that text and define Abram's belief as faithfulness, as if it were based on what Abraham did. Some rabbis would go a step further and use Genesis 26 to further support that claim, where God says that Abraham's descendants would become numerous because Abraham obeyed and did everything he required of him, keeping God's commands, decrees, and instructions. So that's a little on how the rabbis would teach about Abraham's faithfulness. Now, what was this promise exactly? Here we have to flip back yet again to Genesis, where in Genesis 12, the text says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. By this point in chapter 12, the path that Abraham has traveled thus far has been laid. You see, by the end of Genesis 11, we know a few things. One, that Abraham is by now married. He's married to who? Sarah. Abraham, his dad, and his brothers and their families were settled in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, this place was a place of pagan worship. His father worshipped pagan gods. It was a cultural center of moon worship. So you have to understand the environment that surrounded Abraham and his family. But finally, there's another thing that we know. In chapter 11, we're told that Abram's wife, Sarah, is barren. So Abraham and his family, they were settled and steeped in the worship of other gods. And yet, In their game of life, Sarah's situation would have been considered a major setback. It is here, in Ur, that Abraham receives the call. So given that context, Abraham being called by a God that neither he nor anyone else in their family knew, in a land where they had already become established and settled, 
And then you have Sarah's barrenness. When the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation. I am all the more stunned by what happens next. The text says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went. What strikes me is that Abram didn't situate either where he was settled or what had seemed like a setback above what God had said. He didn't consider the place where he was already settled. Some of us have worked really hard for different reasons in our lives to build a life that is settled and secure. Some of us were taught that if you grow roots somewhere, there's greater, greater potential for you to build a family legacy, to accumulate success, to prove your loyalty to a company or to a family unit. Some of us crave this idea of being settled for different reasons because we didn't have that kind of security and consistency in our past. And so we're working really hard to build that for our families now. Being comfortably settled is attractive. But then there's these setbacks that's similar with them. It'd be tempting to find yourself in the midst of a setback in a relationship at work or health-wise, and try and will yourself out of it to force a win or a way forward. If I can just spin the right number and land on the right space or opportunity, or maybe for you, you're more prone to let the setback overcome you. And you ask questions like questions that would have surely been asked of Sarah. What did she do wrong? God, what, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? See, both being too settled as well as mounting difficult setbacks have the potential to keep us from believing the promises of God. Quick story, just this past week, our youngest, our four-year-old journey, Girl is hungry all the time. Carrie Thorson's nodding because she's in kids' ministry. She's all, girl always wants a slice of pizza. Well, she comes to me in the living room. Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm hungry. Feed me, Mom, I'm hungry. I'm like, let's go get a snack. She's like, no, I'm hungry. I'm like, but the snack will fix that. She's like, no, just feed me. And I say to her, Journey, your daddy is about to walk back inside with the food that was just delivered. We're gonna eat in a minute. She throws herself on the, she throws herself on the floor at the same time that the front door opens and Delwyn walks in with pizzas and salad and garlic knots. Praise the Lord for the, the, and I'm watching her as I'm also watching him pointing, say, Journey, there's a promise there's a promise waiting for you if you would just pick yourself up from the setback, turn, and walk toward and receive the promise that's available to you in the kitchen. Some of us are there. And either us being too settled or the setback keeps us from receiving the promises of God. Even without a roadmap, Abraham went. Even without the detailed agenda, Abraham went. Even without forecasting profit margins, Abraham went. He went without knowing how, and yet all he had was go. Back to Romans 4. Paul knows the teaching being perpetuated using Genesis 15 by Jewish rabbis. And so here in Romans 4, he quotes the Genesis 15 text. And then he continues in verse 13 to make a distinction between the law and faith. He says, it was not through the law 
that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. Let's pause there. Remember, Paul has never met this church. This is a Christian community that he did not establish, and so he has fellow Jews in mind. They don't really know who he is, so this chapter is part of a larger chunk of doctrine as it relates to God's desires, both past and future, and God's hopes for them as the church in Rome. He's writing to help reestablish some core foundational pieces of doctrine. He helps them break down the timing of the promise that was given. See, Genesis 15, the point at which Abraham was credited with righteousness by faith, came before the command God gave to Abraham to walk faithfully. Genesis 17, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant with you. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. That's two chapters later. So Paul was trying to hit home the point that the law, which comes later in Exodus, that was originally founded upon Abraham's faith had been morphed into a burden by the religious teachers, metaphorically mounted on the backs of Jews, such as himself, by the additions of human explanations and interpretations. And I can't help but wonder, Mars Hill, how have we added, how have we ourselves added to that burden today? Making our own rules on the game board of good Christianity based on our 2023 interpretation of God's law. Who's the most holy and righteous based on outward signs of success or favor? Who's in or out based on our own categorical understandings or rankings of sin? See, Abraham was what one scholar called a virtual Gentile. He'd not yet been circumcised in Genesis 15. And yet the promise was he'd be a father, not to just those who followed the law blamelessly and played the game right, but of all. Father of all. In Abraham was the kickstart of a plan, a blessing for all the families of the earth. So Paul cuts straight through the legalism and reminds them that the law doesn't really bring about the kind of individual self-fulfilling freedom and righteousness that they think. Instead, he reminds them that the law brings wrath. And to those Jews to whom Paul was writing, who were so committed to the law without remembering Abraham's faith, and to us Christ's followers today, who have been taught or stepped into these rhythms and checklists of what it means to be a good Christ follower today, that perhaps it's hustle that keeps us in the right standing with God and makes us better Christians. He's reminding them of that risk of pursuing that path and in so doing, driving straight past the true, real promise of God. The law brings wrath, false freedom. Believing God's promise by faith is to receive grace, true freedom. So how do we fix our hearts? How do we enter more deeply into the promise of grace that comes by faith? There are really two invitations that I want to put before us as we are in this Lenten season, family. What if, instead of believing the fulfillment of good, of the things that you have in your life, the things that 
you've worked so hard for? What if refusing to believe that that fulfillment of good is up to your own flesh is your next step today? Would, would you perhaps receive the invitation to let go? However you've tried to do it right, you don't have to hustle or hard work your way to holiness. Yes, we are invited to participate because faith without works is dead and yet the foundation of this belief comes from a place of understanding that ultimately we are not the keepers of our own lives. The one who is offers you grace instead. One of our texts for this week in Lent is Psalm 121. And in part, it reads, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Perhaps you say yes to the invitation to let go and proclaim God once again as your keeper. What if part of the work in this season is to confess the ways in which you have not allowed God to keep you? So a simple prayer might be, God, I confess I've had my hands on the wheel and I've been my own keeper. I let go and I'll let you keep me. What does that feel like for some of us in the room today who have believed that we are on the road, on the way, and it's up to us. The second invitation is to believe God. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this invitation. Because another one of our texts for this week in Lent, it comes from John 3. And in John 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a member of the most influential Jewish sect of Jesus' time, he comes to Jesus at night. Some of us know the story. And his presenting statement to Jesus reveals he knows he's a teacher who has come from God. The knowledge is there. But then he says how they know that. What does he say? He says, no one could perform. No one could do. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Do you hear the little bit of works that Nicodemus is bringing to Jesus in the wee hours of the night? But Jesus tells him it's not performance. He tells Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, he has to be born again. And this rightly confuses Nicodemus. He's like, how can someone who's so old fit again into their mother's womb and then come out? He's, you can hear him try to figure it out in the text. And so Jesus continues and has mercy on him and continues and says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Then Jesus says something to Nicodemus that exposes the flaw in Nicodemus' own game board. You see, Nicodemus knows a lot. Many would say he's done life the right way. But the next thing Jesus says exposes something in him. Where Jesus says in John 3, starting in verse 11, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? The Son of Man, verse 15, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Marcel, as I was praying, for us this week, understanding that this was gonna be our text, I sense that there are things that God is doing 
is doing right now in our midst. But we cannot receive the grace of bearing witness to what God is doing because we're so stuck proverbially in Genesis 17 and Exodus 20. We can't receive what God is doing now because we're so committed to our work. We're so committed to what it might take for us to do, to be seen as right in God's eyes. But let me tell you some of what God is doing right now. Just here at Mars Hill, lonely families walking along our neurodiverse brothers and sisters are finding community and belonging in the church through our embrace ministry. We have a thriving community of people who have said, I found home here because of the environment that Trace has helped facilitate for them. High school students in the year of our Lord, 2023, are choosing to put down cell phones and read the ancient scriptures together. They're making that choice. I don't know if y'all are as excited as I am, but the first women's conference at Mars Hill Bible Church is happening in just about six weeks. In, in a matter of weeks, women who perhaps might have said, I haven't experienced belonging in a long time. I felt alone. We have the ability to come together and take part in community together to be restored and refreshed. We're gonna talk about coming and listening, putting down our burdens and making space to listen to what God might have to say and to experience renewal together. There are things that are happening in our midst and there are callings coming out of the promise that God yet wants to give to us. But the burden that I sensed as leading up to today was, God wants to know if we believe him. Do we still believe God? I wonder how much of us like Nicodemus would say, there are things that we were, were taught, there are things that we know, there are things that we would say, yeah, like. I believe that that fact is true, but God's saying, I still have yet to do things in your midst, but I want to know not just what do you know about me, but do you still believe me? Do you still believe that I'm at work in all of the earth? He has spoken to us of earthly things, and we don't believe him. He's asking us the same question he asked of Nicodemus Mars Hill. I love what John Perkins says in his book, Welcoming Justice. He says, I believe God interrupts us with his love. So often when we're interrupted, we get mad. But from the very beginning of God's movement in the world, God has been interrupting people with his love, disturbing our false peace in order to make real peace possible. If we have ears to hear, the invitation is open for each of us, come and be part of the beloved community that God makes possible in Jesus Christ. Will you fix, will you fasten your heart to God's testimony in the world and believe God again today, church? Will you be born again? Will you believe again? Might you tiptoe out of the structure and confines of that game board? Might you take a risk and say, God, yeah, either I do or I want to believe you anew today. A part of my story, some of you know, like I'm spiritual mutt that has inherited the beauty of many traditions in my life. 
I was born and raised in the Black Baptist Church. I went to an all-girls Catholic school for 13 years. I moved to LA, and that was a whole nother story that we don't have time for. And I have just been the recipient of so many beautiful parts of God's church. But one fond memory I have from the black church that I grew up in was this idea of testimony time. And what would happen is, toward the end of the service, the pastor would offer up a mic and invite people, for, invite people to give their testimony about something God had done, about where they had seen God on the move. Perhaps if there were a prayer request, they'd come back to publicly tell the community that God had answered a prayer. And there's part of that spiritual heritage Mars, that I long for regularly. Because testimony is so important. I love what James H. Cohn says about testimony. He says, testimony is an integral, integral part of the black religious tradition. It is the occasion where the believer stands before the community of faith in order to give account of the hope that is in them. See, what would happen is, for someone who showed up to church that day whose belief was waning, whose belief was low or on empty, someone would get up and they'd give testimony and say, borrow my belief today. Let me tell you where God is still at work. Or perhaps for someone who was still wanting to know, like, can I still believe in that God even after this struggle or situation or setback in my life, a believer would get up and say, yes, you can. Because this is how God is at move, on the move in our midst. And so church, part of the invitation is to confess the ways that we need to let go. But I wonder if the second part of that invitation doesn't happen when you get in the car or go on your way to Costco or go home. I wonder if the second invitation happens right now and we might leave some space to help one another believe. So this is what we're going to do. Here's a prompt. It says, beloved community, this is why you can believe God. I'm going to give us just a minute or two for us to listen and dialogue with our creator. And if you feel so led, this is not planned. I've not pre-picked anybody. But if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, to come up and share with your brothers and sisters why God can still be believed. Because if we can believe God for the things happening here on earth, might God entrust us with the fulfillment of promises he has yet for us coming from heaven? Might we encourage each other in our belief today? So take a few moments of silence. And in those moments, Troy is going to be wandering with the mic. Our prayer team will be in the back if you so choose to go and pray with somebody instead of coming up publicly. But I invite you to come up publicly and tell us why we can believe God. Or you can stay in your place and Troy will come find you. Just raise your hand. But if you feel so led, come sit in the front and we would love to hear your testimony. Take some time now.
Okay, church, if you would like to share, I'll just ask that you share your name with us as you come. We'll have Janice come. Tell us, I just gave your, her name, but she'll reintroduce herself. And if you could start your testimony by saying, beloved community, this is why you can believe God. My name is Janice. Um, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I had a stroke. And I prayed, and we prayed, and elders prayed over us that I would be healed. I believed, of course I would be healed, and I wasn't. And that was a kick in the head. But God has just enveloped our family with grace. We laid everything at his feet. How are we going to live on one salary, not two? How are we going to handle me not driving with having, at the time, a nine-year-old child at home who was active in sports? And to every place that we laid something at God's feet, he placed someone to help us pick it up. He placed somebody in our path that helped us handle it. He gave us someone who taught us how to handle our finances, putting God in the forefront. And I'm still not healed, and I don't think I ever will be in it, and it's okay. It's all good. And if you're not going to be healed, it's all good. We will be someday with Jesus. Thank you, Janice. Beloved community, that's how you can believe God. That's why. Is there anyone else? Come on. Oh, you don't have to. My name is Susie, and beloved community, this is why you can believe God. You can have something on your heart and not tell anybody else but God's up there he can orchestrate all the answers I this is so crazy to me this happened today because I've been thinking for the last several weeks about growing up in the Nazarene church and every Sunday night was testimony night and I love testimony night because you'd hear people talk about these stories how God met their needs whether it was financial needs or whatever these stories would blow me away and I, I have believed, you know, it makes it easier to believe these Bible stories. You know, like people being swallowed by big fish and things like that, sometimes they get a little hard to swallow. But when you've got people walking with you every day who are telling you how God's providing and what they're doing, it just makes your faith become so much stronger. And then just fast forward to a few weeks ago, I just kept thinking about those testimony days and how it's been years and years and years since I've heard people give up and give a testimony how God provided a check for him this week or this or that. And I long for that and I miss it. This was last Sunday I'm thinking this and talking about it. I didn't tell anybody else. And now here we're talking about how important it is to give testimonies and talk to other people about what God's doing in your life and talking about the struggles that are going on in your life because that's important because if you're not telling people your struggles, then they can't witness to you to help you get through that, right? And so I'm just so grateful that God, he knows everything that's going on and he's got it worked out. And the thing that I kept thinking about was being a Jesus people for the sake of the world. You know, sometimes that just seems so overwhelming. You're like, how in the world can I be out there for the world. Well, if we people aren't doing it in these four, you know, four walls, sharing with each other how God is doing this, you know, how are we going to do it out in the world? But if we're all doing it with each other all the time, it's going to explode and go bonkers in this world. And we will be a Jesus people for the sake of the world. And I'm just so grateful that Ashley listened to the Lord and just went ahead and, and did this. Because this is a hard thing to do and we're not comfortable with these kind of things. But oh my gracious, when our, when our strength is gone, his strength is perfect and he can use us in mighty little ways that we never ever could imagine. Amen. 
Patricia, would you like to come? Hi, I'm Trisha. <clears throat> Excuse me. And beloved community, this is why you can believe God. A couple of weeks ago, Denise preached, and um, at the end, she challenged people to um, go to somebody who they didn't know and take communion with them. I was sitting with my friend, John, and I thought, oh, whew sitting with somebody that I know so I don't have to have any strangers come up and say, come on, let's pray together. I was just like, whew, because that's uncomfortable. And uh, pretty soon here comes this, like immediately, not even pretty soon, this woman comes up and holds her hand out to me and I was like, oh, okay. Here we go. We're just going to be happy about this. Let's go. And... Uh, I'd, she put her arm in mine, and just like Denise had described, and we walked off to take communion, and I started like feeling a little emotional. I had a lot going on in my life. I still do. And it's just not stuff that you share with people. It's just private kind of stuff, family stuff. And we got up to, got the, took the bread and the cup and went to the back, and her husband came up, and I thought, okay, so, like I'm thinking the whole time, Okay, so I'll ask them how I can pray for them because then I can be in control of the situation and then they don't have to ask me how they can pray for me because I really don't feel like sharing. I said, how can I pray for you? And they said, no, nope, we're going to pray for you. Neat. And uh, so I, I started to share a little bit. I just got real emotional about it. I had only said maybe one sentence, maybe two. And uh, they said, you know what, you don't have to say anymore. And they described the situation that they had had years and years ago that mirrored the situation that I was going through, like spot on. And since then, like, she's reached out to me and I just feel an intimate bond with them and if I had said, nope, it's okay, I'm just praying with John, I would have missed God in that. And it was just a really beautiful, see, I'm still, I'm still here, I got you, kind of a thing. So, beloved community, that's why you can believe God. Good evening, everybody. My name is Bill Marion. Um, I attended South High School years ago, but I believe there's a God, and um, I believe there's a God, and um, he provided a way for our sins. And um, there's a man that I really love and dream, I love to preach about is Jimmy Swagner, um, Jim Baker, all those guys, but Jimmy Swagner was my main man. You know what he say? He said, Jesus Christ, you got to hold on me, and I won't let go. Glory to God. Glory to God. When that man preached, he said, glory to God. Glory to God. He started preaching. He shake his little head. I said, when Jimmy Swagger didn't leave the world, the whole world going to come to an end. He's a man of God. He's a gift. He's didn't know, but he preached the word. He knows the word. And it wasn't for him. He saved my life. He brought me into God. He showed me that God provided a way on the cross for our sins, and he saved the world, and um, he provided for everybody who loves us. Anybody who's come to God, believe, have faith. There is a God somewhere in the universe, only one God, and that's him. Glory to God! Hi, my name is Drew. Um, so some of you know, but the last six months or so has been one of the most difficult um, seasons of my life in the last probably about 10 years. Um, 
I grew up in a pretty rough home and have had fractured relationships with family um, for years. And my family and I were forced to move back to our home city and um, spent the last six months there. And um, we reluctantly packed our things and got in the car and went. And I was not prepared for that season to be what it was. Um, the whole idea was to go and get a job and make money so that we could save everything up and then come back to Grand Rapids before we lost our minds, right? Um, and just kind of like white knuckle it through the season. Um, but that was not God's plan for me at all. Um, I was forced to not work for about six months. Um, my spouse worked 12-hour days, some days, seven days, or some weeks, seven days a week. And so I spent a lot of time at home alone. And at first, I was like, okay, I'll just fill my life with people. I'll just spend tons of time, try to distract myself, um, try to go a lot of different directions with that. And sometimes God has a very interesting way of taking people out of your life to make you quiet enough to hear him. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and those hours of having to spend time reliving and reconfronting my past and my childhood and through whether it was family or people I used to go to church with, um, it was grueling and it was really, really hard. And um, there was a point where I told God that if I wasn't gonna be able to get out of it, I wasn't gonna get out, I wasn't gonna be here anymore. That's where I was. And um, he showed up. So I'm here to tell you that God can use having to relive the hardest parts of your life or having to confront and stop running from it so that you can move forward and you can solidify your faith and you can, instead of running from God and forgetting everything you've learned, you can actually relearn things and become more confident in that. And then um, God will not only move you forward out of that, but he will show you that that place isn't so scary anymore. So when he returns to you to a season like that and you have to confront those hard things again, he's going to show up again. And you'll be stronger and more ready. And then in the weak times, in the weak moments, He's going to supply everything that you need. Good morning. It's really interesting that Ashley brought this up today. Um, my name's Julie. Uh, about a year ago, um, I started having problems with my body. That was very weird. Um, I've always been very healthy, very active. And I started having really bad back pain. And it was really scary. I didn't really know what was going on. And some of you may have had this experience. Uh, the medical community kind of moves slow sometimes, and you're like, what the actual, we need to figure this out. And it just moves really, really slow. And so I've spent the past year working this through, trying to figure things out. And 
I received some diagnoses from doctors that were really intense, and um, they started talking to me about back surgery, about having discs taken out, talking about the fact that going forward, I'd probably have to have back surgery at least every 10 years. And it was like, you're kidding me, how did we get here? And I'll never forget meeting with a doctor and he just looked at me and basically said, tell me what you like to do. Tell me what your activity looks like. And I started telling him and he just said to me, you know, Julie, you're not that girl anymore. It's not gonna be you. And I just remember sitting in that office having such rage, thinking, how do you get to tell me who I am? There's nobody who gets to do that except for God. And I had to remind myself time and time again because the process was exhausting. Anyway, I wrote myself a letter that day and I was like, you need to freaking read this every single day because you're going to subscribe to these false ideas and it's just going to take you down. And that's not how my dad raised me. So, In church, I always learned that God was the great healer. I didn't really know what that meant until I had to know what that meant. Um, so what did God tell me? God told me, your body is my temple. Take such good care of it. Take time for that every single day. God told me, I'm the great healer. Come to me when you're hurting. God told me, I didn't promise it would be easy, but I promised that you'd never be alone. God reminded me to act as if the whole world is conspiring in my favor. Because when you think like that, it changes things. So number one, I was like, I need a new freaking doctor. This guy's got to go. He doesn't know me. Um, and God just started opening doors, and he connected me um, one of the people who goes here, she's not here today, but I called her and I was like, look, sis, I need your connections. You're in the medical field, help me out. And I got connected to some of the most amazing women who poured into me through physical therapy, personal training, nutrition. Um, and two weeks ago, I went back to the doctor and he looked at me and he said, I have no idea what you've been doing, but you're about 80% healed. Surgery is off the table. And he said, you're doing the work and you're healing yourself. And I thought to myself, I'm not healing myself. God's at work here and I owe it to him to share that with as many people as possible. So thanks for the opportunity. And beloved community, this is why you can believe. Beloved community, I'm Bennett Samuel, and this is why you can believe God. Um, in November, I started experiencing, just like my sister here, severe back pain and leg pain, unable to sleep, unable to walk, unable to stand. And through prayers here, I was feeling very uh, physically and emotionally and uh, just mentally down. And just a few weeks over here, our friends and family prayed over me. And today, I'm able to walk again. I'm able to sleep as much as my two-year-old will let me sleep. And uh, I'm also able to uh, stand. So just want to testify that God is still active uh, in our world. Uh, and God is healing our world. God is healing God's people. And so uh, grace and peace to each of you. Amen. Hi, my name is Jasmine. Um, beloved community, this is why you can believe God. Um, about two years ago, I was in a depression state, anxiety, social anxiety, 
Um, it kept me away from being at church. I was in a domestic violence I couldn't get out of because I was in love with this person. Not knowing that we were together for about six years and I was like, this is a person I want to be with. And that was not the case. I would cry every night. I tried to get away. Um, until about two years ago, I literally fell on my knees, started praying. I asked God, why me? I'm a great woman. I work hard, I was pregnant, and I was on my second kid. And now I'm a single mother, which I'm very proud of myself because I asked God, why me? Why do I have to be in this predicament? I lost faith for a while, and then I started reading my Bible daily and regained that connection with God. And one night I had a dream. He came to me and was like, Jasmine, I will always be with you, but you need to get back into church. I will walk with you on your journey, but you have to let me guide you. And so that's why I'm back here today, because my boys need me and they need to see their mother happy and the way that we're going to do that is with God. And so he gave me my strength to come back. Thank you. Hi, my name is Christina, and this is why God is with us. Um, Back in November, my husband started to have back pain. He thought he had just twisted his back while he was sleeping. And he dealt with the pain, and then in December, he had fallen on the ice. We didn't think much of it. His back pain got a little worse. Um, he had a new job starting with the NS Railroad down in Indiana. So he worked through the pain to go through the training, and he came home. He's been back since the end of January working in Indiana, throwing 80-pound switches. Um, come to find out, he found out Friday. He was, and we've been praying for God this whole time, you know, let's get to the bottom of this backache, let's heal it. And we found out God pushed him to go to the ER Friday morning. He thought it was just constipation. Come to find out he has a tumor. Not the answer that we wanted, but God at work, he gave us the answer to his backache. Um, and the tumor had actually broke his back. Um, so continued prayers for that, but God's with us. God's keeping his strength up. He's doing what the doctors are telling him to do. Um, and we just have faith when we get his pathology back this Friday that God will have good news. They did tell us when they did the biopsy that it didn't look as bad as what they anticipated. So God is at work in this situation with us if we just keep our hope and faith. want to. <laughs> Hi church, um, my name is Victoria. I'm Willem. This is my son Willem. Um, about six years ago um, my husband and I had given up on our family growing and we waited a long time for this little guy to join us and he's here with us today and he encouraged um, us to come up here today and um, he's such a blessing in our lives and I'm just so proud of him. And he wanted to say, um, beloved community, you can believe in God because he takes care of us. Hi, I'm John Hoover. I've been here for quite a while. Um, I believed in God since I was a child. Um, I believe he knit me together in my mother's womb. I've always trusted him. I haven't always followed him the way I should, I know that. 
Um, but uh, this is just one time. I've seen God work in my life many, many times. Um, I had just recently, this is I was a young man, I had just gotten out of the Navy, and to me, having a job and taking care of your wife and your family was very, very important to me. And um, I had gotten a job that wasn't right for me, but I took it anyway. And I had a disagreement with my boss, and I have never quit a job in my life. And I decided to quit my job. And I'm driving home, and I'm going, God, what do I do? I was scared. You know, I had a family to take care of. And so I got home, and I told my wife, um, I have some bad news. I, I quit my job. And, you know, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any idea which way to go. And my wife told me, uh, well, I have some good news. A company called Steelcase just called and wanted to know if I was still interested in a job. Um, I'd completely forgot. I even put an application in there. And uh, the Lord blessed me through that. And I worked there for 43 years, and it provided me with a very good living. Like I said, I've been, as a Christian walk, I've been on some wonderful mountaintops, and I've been in some nasty deserts. Uh, but God has always been with me, and I know he always will be. Thank you. Thank you.